Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Revelation chapter 2 this morning. And uh, this morning we'll be looking at a persecuted church. Now, um, here in America, we don't seem to understand that like they would have back then. Uh, we, we, we may uh, face little things comparatively. Um, we may battle, uh, battle with uh, court cases and, and things like that. We may uh, be slighted in our society, but um, we don't often here in America face the idea that we might be put to death for our faith in Jesus. But it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll always be that way. I mean, we look at our society today and the way things seem to be going, maybe it's not too far down the road that we could be facing um, prison or worse by being faithful to Jesus. Um, here, Jesus addresses, uh, as, as he's, we've been going through Revelation, um, we come to this er- section where Jesus addresses seven churches. Last week we looked at the church of Ephesus where um, they had lost their first love or they had abandoned their first love. And here we look at the church of Smyrna. And Smyrna is a church that he doesn't have anything negative to say about it. Five out of the seven churches, he rebukes them for something they've done wrong. Smyrna, on the other hand, he doesn't say anything negative. All he does is he encourages them in the midst of their suffering. We know something from church history about Smyrna. Smyrna was the home of a a pastor by the name of Polycarp. And Polycarp was probably one of John's very disciples that he had actually learned from John himself. Uh, Polycarp, uh, probably, uh, he would have probably been in his mid-twenties about the time that this letter was written. Um, He was a a pastor there in um, Smyrna. But whenever he was 86 years old, Uh, Around the year uh, 155 A.D., Polycarp, uh, someone had turned him in for his belief in Jesus. Turned him in because he would not bow down to the Roman gods. He would not pay tribute to Caesar. And he was arrested and he was taken before the councils and they urged him, you know, just consider your age. I mean, 86 years old. I mean, and then that day... That would be even more of an accomplishment than it is today. Polycarp, whenever he was urged to recant his faith, to to turn away from Jesus, he said, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and savior? Polycarp was being threatened that he would be thrown to the wild animals. Yet he answered that, and uh, so the proconsul said, well, if wild animals aren't going to be enough for you, then we'll burn you. We'll burn you with fire. And Polycarp says in response, 
You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and after a little is extinguished, but are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why do you tarry? Bring forth what you will. This ancient Christian who knew John himself, um, he faced the fire. They, they did burn him upon a, a pyre. And uh, tradition tells us that God did a miracle, that he, he wouldn't burn. And so not only did they burn him, uh, and he wouldn't burn, but tradition says that uh, they then took a, a, a knife and a dagger and stabbed him so that he would die. And they, you know, uh, the believers, the Christians, their, their hope was in etern- the return of Christ, that, that we would be resurrected. And so they took care of the bodies of believers. Yet the proconsul denied to, to give the body to be able to care for it. You know, Jesus, his body was prepared for burial. They anointed it with spices and things like that. They refused to give the body over. Instead, they burned his remains because they thought they could extinguish Polycarp. Because they thought they could extinguish Jesus. But they could not do that. Here Jesus says to the church at Smyrna, this very same church that Polycarp was later a part of. He says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Let's pray. Father, we... We thank you. You've given us your word. You've spoken to us. Lord, speak now. As we look into your word, in Jesus' name, amen. He follows the same kind of pattern that he's been going through. He, he addresses to the church, to the angel of the church of, just like he did to Ephesus, he does so for Smyrna. And he, he identifies himself, who he is that is speaking in a very similar way. In Ephesus, remember, he identified himself as the one who, um, who held the seven stars in his hand, and who, had, who walked among the golden lampstands, representing the fact that he was in control of what happened in his churches, and he was walking among them in their midst, in the midst of their suffering. Now, he comes to Smyrna and he says, the words of the first and the last, something again we saw in chapter 1, 
Something that was identified with who Jesus was. He is the first and the last. He is God Himself in the flesh. And then He says, the one who died and came back to life. There's something very important here for Smyrna. There's something very important here for us. Jesus identifies Himself as the one who died and came back to life. He identifies Himself with His resurrection. We ought not to fear death as believers because we worship the one who died and came back to life. Just as we will one day die, he will raise us from the dead with himself. And that ought to be a great encouragement for those who were in Smyrna. Those who were facing imprisonment and possible death because of their faith. Because they would refuse to recant. To to repent of their faith. They would be faithful to Jesus unto death. Jesus then tells them, I know where you... I'm sorry, looking at the wrong letter. He says, I know your tribulation. He knows about their suffering. And when we are suffering, whenever we are facing different things, He knows about that too. He doesn't overlook it. He's not too busy to look at us in our suffering, but He is there. He knows about our tribulation. He knows about their poverty. They were an impoverished church. You know, some have speculated about why they might be impoverished. I, I think it very well may be the truth that they, they, they were in poverty not because they were just the lower classes, and those lower classes would be the only ones who would believe. No, they were probably in poverty because when you trusted in Christ, there were certain things, that, the doors that closed for you when it came to employment. Because of their faith in Jesus, they probably couldn't get a job. One of the sufferings that they faced. You know, we may not be too far from that. There are people today that lose their jobs because of their faith in Jesus because they refuse to hold the line with uh, what our, our um, culture is pushing regarding marriage and sexuality. It very well could be that some of us or some of our children could lose our jobs due to this very issue. Jesus says, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but then He says this, but you are rich. By the world standards, by physical standards, they were poor. They, they had no physical resources. But Jesus reminds them that really, in reality, they are rich. They have Jesus. They have the greatest treasure in all the universe because they have Jesus. They have an inheritance that will never be destroyed. They have Jesus. They may be poor, but Jesus says they are rich. And Jesus says, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty. And He says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. They have speak, people speaking against them. And probably this is a, a Jewish group in, in their city. 
that have not, they're not Jewish Christians. They're just Jews who have rejected the Messiah, have rejected that Jesus was who he said he was. And the way the law was then, these Jews, because they didn't recognize them as being in continuity with the God of the Old Testament, they turned these Christians over. They were their accusers. Accusing them before the Roman government and turning them over so that they could be persecuted. Jesus calls them a synagogue of Satan. While they think that they're following the true God, they have rejected the true God. And they are nothing more than a synagogue of Satan. What they're doing is satanic. And of course, the word for Satan there is based off of the word for the accuser. Satan is the accuser. And these people, these Jews that were, that were um, handing these Christians over to be persecuted, they were doing just like their father. They were accusing. They were handing these believers over so that they would be persecuted. Jesus says these words to them. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. We all face suffering. You know, one of the greatest things that believers need in our lives is courage. We need courage. It is easy just to kind of go along in life and just go with the flow and never ruffle any feathers. It takes courage to stand up for what we believe. It takes courage to be able to, to share our faith with our neighbors and those around us. They might, they might, they wouldn't probably turn us over to the authority so we can be persecuted, but they might laugh at us. They might ridicule us. We need courage. Jesus says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Then he tells them a prophecy, what they're about to experience. He says, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. These Jews who have accused them, this synagogue of Satan, he's attributing their work whenever they are accusing them and going to throw these Christians into prison. He says that's the very work of Satan himself. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. Now here's a, here's a little question. Would Satan throw... Christians to prison for the purpose of their testing. Why would Satan want to test these Christians? I think this is something that shows us that in spite of Satan and all of his power, he is not all powerful. God is the one in control. The devil is on a leash and he can do nothing to touch us unless God allows it to be so. While Satan means it for evil as he throws them into prison, God intends this very thing for testing them, refining them. Then Jesus says, and for ten days you will have tribulation. This this is talking about these specific believers that are going to be thrown into prison for ten days. But Jesus says to them, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. 
Does that give you any encouragement while you're there? Uh, as a uh, believer who's about to be thrown into prison, and Jesus says, you're going to be there for ten days and be faithful unto death. Imagine that. There's a very possibility that but after those ten days, they weren't going to get out of prison. They weren't going to be released. They're going to be killed. Jesus warns them this. He says, be faithful unto death. But then he gives the words of encouragement. He says, and I will give you the crown of life. They were being called upon to suffer, to be persecuted. They were being warned, you know, give up your faith, renounce Jesus, turn away from Him, and you can be set free. You'll have your liberty if you, if you just renounce Jesus. Just say Caesar is Lord. But they refused to do so. Jesus said, be faithful unto death, and He promises them that they will have a crown of life. They will be given life itself. Though they die, they can't be hurt because Jesus has the power of resurrection. He is the one who died and came back to life and He will do the very same thing for these believers. When they're thrown into prison, He will give them the crown of life. He will raise them up the same way He was risen up. Then Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We all need to hear this. We all need to hear this. We may not be facing the kind of persecution that they were facing, but we all need to hear this. There are other things that try to reach for our attention, that try to get us to deny our Savior. And a lot of times it's just our own temptation, our own sinful temptations and desires. Do we deny Jesus every time? Do we fall into that sin that we struggle with? Jesus promises the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Another encouragement for these believers who are about to be thrown into prison and may experience death itself. He says, if you conquer... You may be killed, but you're still going to conquer. If you don't deny Jesus, you will conquer. And you will not be hurt by the second death. Well, what's this second death about? Let me turn over to uh, Revelation 20. He tells us what the second death is all about. Uh, I'll turn to Revelation 21.8, actually. It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithful, faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immorality, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire, which burns, and I'm sorry, the lake which burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The second death is hell. We will one day experience a time whenever Jesus comes back, whenever we will all be raised from the dead, when there will be a judgment and the sheep will be separated from the goats. The righteous will go into eternal life. And yet unbelievers, those who have not trusted in Christ, those who have not fled to the Savior, will be thrown into the lake of fire which burns 
forever. And they, that is the second death. But what's horrible about the second death is that it never ends. It never ends. The second death, they just keep on living. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It's not like hell is a place where people are thrown and they just burn up and cease to exist. But people will be there living and yet burning forever and ever and ever with no relief. It's unpopular. But this is what the Bible teaches. Jesus says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. While you may experience death in this life, while they might burn you to death, while they might throw you to wild animals, while they might do all kinds of things against you, you will not be hurt by the second death. Jesus is the one who died and rose again, and because of His resurrection, we can be raised with Him. He calls us to overcome through suffering, through trials, through temptation, Jesus promises that when we overcome, we will not be hurt by the second death. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.